0: With quantitative information, you don't necessarily um, get the perception of people right. No one has like a, a correct worldview. But I think without this information, there's not a chance for that in the first place.
1: This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by Visualizing Wellbeing, the Wiki Progress Data Visualization Contest 2015. To find out more, visit the Wiki Progress website at wikiprogress.org. Or their Facebook page, or you can also follow them on Twitter at Progress.
2: Hey everyone, data stories number 57, summer edition. It's so hot here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not that
1: hot here anymore. I want to. I want to uh, stress that it's actually quite quite rainy.
2: Yeah. Well, it's yeah,
1: expected. For for the record.
2: <laughs> so let's go straight to our enough guest about today the weather, because already. we have enough about the weather. It's hot here and cold there. We have Max Roser from Univers- University of Oxford. Hi, Max. How are you?
0: Hi, Enrico. Very good.
2: So we invited Maxi as a very interesting project. He's a, an economist from University of Oxford and, um, he has a project called Our World in Data and, uh, he collects information about, um, human developments on social, economic and environmental history of, of, of the, of human beings and trying to present these things in, um, a very nice crafted website with visualizations and try to tell stories about how humans have evolved during the last um, centuries. I guess maybe even even longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very interesting. So we want to talk about uh, how it does that. What are the goals of this project? Uh, how to find data and many other uh, related topics. So Max, do you want to introduce yourself briefly to tell about what's your background, what you're trying to do? And maybe we can dive into your your projects.
0: Um, yeah. Well, um, like as you said, I'm an economist here at the university. My my actual research is on on economic inequality. Shouldn't say my actual research, right? This is also part <laughs> of uh, the work that I'm doing here. But the stuff that ends up in academic papers is is on uh, economic inequality. And my background is. Um, in economics, and what well, I studied philosophy, uh, that is really far away from data visualization. <laughs> um, but I guess at least the interest in, in human development and the kind of questions of what matters for, for a good life, what matters for a good society, um, have some relevance on, on this um, background as well.
2: Nice. So um, can you tell us a little bit Uh, about your project, Our World in Data, what it is about, what you're trying to do there?
0: Sure. Um, The idea is to give a very long-term overview of of human development and to show uh, how we got to where we are right now. So to take each aspect that matters for our life, poverty, violence, education, um, wars... Um, global health, um, and to go back to the academic literature and to, um, pull out the data, um, that, that, that is out there that is um, out there by and like produced by amazing researchers around the world, but then is kind of published often enough in, in an obscure journal that is only available um, and known really uh, to very specialized audience in that field. And um, the idea is to to bring it out of, of, of this world and to graphically show um, uh, what the long-term trends are and present all of that on a website that is open access um, and um, heavy on data visualizations so that everyone can understand what is going on there
1: it, it reminded me quite a bit of we had this big school atlas do you know dirkes Weltatlas? atlas probably <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah. and, and so it's like 100 pages or so a big like yeah. geographic but also like political all the natural resources of the world migration you know it's like it's this yeah atlas of the world uh, but it's mostly map based but your project is like an atlas i think but Data, true
0: data atlas is that yeah, a, yeah. a fair description is it? no it is a fair description like i think i was even at school i was kind of a bit su- surprised how, why people didn't find these atlases more more interesting i think they're really <laughs> fascinating things right and then you then you just like you treat them not really well throw them around and and like forget about them afterwards but they're actually amazing uh, publications and uh and and often beautiful data visualizations, right? Yeah. Amazing. So it's, it's something like an historical atlas, or so. If you want, yeah, it's like an atlas. It's not, it's like a museum in some respect as well, right? <laughs> a graphical display of, of uh, how the past led us to um, where we are now. So,
2: can you give us uh, some examples of the um, um, web pages, projects, and visualizations that you created?
0: Um. Sure, like it's just the question where to start. Like, um, one topic that I, that I often like to present in, in presentations is, is I guess violence and war. It's just, um, fascinating, um, how much we actually know and how, how good the data often is in, in, um, in this field. So, um, we have, for example, very good data on homicides. We can go, Really far back and um, have some idea of, of um, the levels of violence even in uh, prehistoric societies because because um, archaeologists go out and uh, look at um, graves and bodies of um, of people who died uh, tens of thousands of years ago and try to um, figure out basically in like a CSI way um, what the cause of death <laughs> for these guys were um, and based on these. Um, Based on these records, you have some historical estimates, um, what the level of human violence was um, in the distant past. And then it's kind of my job to go through each of these publications. I did this, I guess, last spring or so, where I was reading all of these archaeology papers, uh, trying to dig out the information on um, on how many people died in due to the violence of their uh, contemporaries and uh, present that then visually. That's one example, but then you can go even, uh, you can go a bit closer to, to where we are now. And you look at, um, the records of, of homicides that for, at least for European countries is often, um, surprisingly good. There's a, um, criminologist at Cambridge university, Manuel Eisner, who, um, uh, stitched all that data from, um, from the records together to present, um, uh, time series over the last seven centuries, um, so you can go all the way back uh, to prehistory and then it takes you closer to where we are today. And then, of course, for the last decades and years, um, we have data from the statistical offices um, that presents um, much, m- like, much better information, much more reliable information. Um, but the idea is always to bring all of that together in one, in one um, uh, place.
1: And what's the big picture when we look at homicides? Has it become better or worse um well
0: it like human violence it might be surprising and is surprising to a lot of people that i tell this to um is, is way lower than it was in the past so from all of the evidence that we have and there's of course a fascinating book by Steven pinker which is called the better angels of our nature um the empirical evidence that we have uh suggest that this is the most peaceful time in our species existence and this is not to say that we should be i don't know uh uh content with the with the current situation and sit back and uh we all, uh, congratulate ourselves and, and pat ourselves on the shoulder it's just showing um where we are relative to the past it is not um, Making a making a strong point that we're that we are we are already there where we want to be, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a it's something that doesn't match like the common intuition that everything like is getting worse and you know gun deaths and violence and wars everywhere. You know, you just need to switch on the TV and you see some some bombs uh, exactly falling yeah. somewhere, right? And so. Uh, And I discussed the Pinker book with a few people and basically nobody believes it. Everybody thinks like, (laughs) ah, these numbers, they must be made up or he's using that specific subset of data that proves his point. But, exactly, you know, everybody knows the Indians, they were super like living in harmony and, (laughs) you know, the Native Americans. And Mm. uh, then you look at these numbers and you're like, oh, my God, like. You know, like a third of them died in wars or by being killed by their neighbors, basically.
0: Exactly, like you have this very strong uh, feeling, and like a lot of people have this very strong feeling of nostalgia for for a more harmonious, more quiet, more peaceful past. But uh, the the actual empirical record shows that this is really nothing but but nostalgia. (laughs) And like it's been like it's nothing new, right? I think the media is is uh, is Partly to blame for that, because the focus is very much on negative events, Um, and it is not presenting the kind of uh, research that, for example, Manuel Eisner is 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 putting out. But it's it is something that pre predates, um, modern media by centuries or millennia, right? Like, if you go back to our religious test texts, if you go back to the Bible, you have the same kind of idea of like a peaceful past in, in the Garden of Eden and, and, um, then the destruction of that once, um, play, that once once harmonious place and in the future you're uh, like uh, Armageddon is is waiting for us right like it's a it's a very common um, theme in a lot of these ancient um, um, views on on world history the Greeks had the idea of the golden age Um, the Indians have similar ideas Um, I guess even if you go to to the Lord of the Rings, right? You have this kind of idea that <laughs> <it's> <laughs> yeah. like it, is, it is just a very uh, deep-seated belief in people that, yeah. that the I past think, was yeah, I, more harmonious.
2: Yeah, I think flipping through the pages of your website is such a refreshing experience compared to what you get from, from, let's say, standard media. It's in stark contrast with what you get from, from the standard media. So uh, it's 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 really nice, and I think it's not. I think you have several of these um, presentations of web pages where you, where basically the 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 basic message behind that is very positive in many many cases. <laughs> yes. So it's not. I, hmm. I guess it's not just about violence. There are many things that are going better, right? At least looking at the data.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, at least looking at data. That's the kind of. Thing where we know something about how things are changing.
2: <laughs> well, I think that's this is what is interesting here, and I would love to discuss more because mm. I think in the podcast we've been discussing with a lot of people about the value of data and, uh, mm. um, yeah, I mean, discussing something using data as evidence and uh, assuming that data is a stronger argument compared to other ways of putting forward an argument is something that we discussed several times. And I think here is also interesting because I think in your case, you are, the basic assumption is that what you are, uh, I mean, the messages that that you are uh, delivering through your projects are totally based on data, right?
0: That's true. But um, I think, I mean, on the website, I'm trying to bring text and data together. So, um, you get some background information on how reliable this data is and what the, what the data quality, um, actually is. Um, I think that's some, something that is different from a lot of other, uh, sources on, on human development where you have one, um, um, individual visualization that shows you some trend, but you have no idea where this measure actually comes from or like maybe just a, a reference to the source, but, um, but not a real discussion on, on, on how reliable this information actually is and what the limitations of, uh, of the data, reliability is. And in the project, I'm trying to, to put both together, the quantitative information and, um, a qualitative text that, um, Give some perspective on on um, on how how good this data is actually measuring what we are interested in.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. So probably the best way to look at it is really as one of these sub pages, like on world population growth or um, human height, <laughs> or you know, thing like right. these topic pages where you introduce the topic, then you mm-hmm. have a series of charts. They're all sourced. Like where does the data come from? How can I cite this article? There's external links to the papers so um the the findings or the data sets you present are always embedded in this um in this context of interpretation right
0: exactly and for example, like you mentioned the one on world population and for the long term trends in world population um we have some estimates, but they are like there's quite a big disagreement when we go a couple of centuries um uh, back. And what I try to do then is to, to just present all of the data that we have so that the, um, reader has an idea of the range of uncertainty that is associated with these estimates.
1: Mm-hmm. Can we talk a bit about curation? So what, what's your criterion for including a data set? Is it like, are you looking for, let's say you, you, yeah, world population. Are you looking for completeness or are you looking for something surprising? Uh, does it Hmm. need to support your basic message that the world is becoming a better place? What if the data shows it's actually becoming a, Just an okay place (laughs) or like a so-so place? Like where where do you draw the border? Or like, have you excluded datasets because you felt like they were not interesting or fishy or um, don't support your message? Like what's your inclusion criteria?
0: Um, I mean, there are many aspects... Well, there, like, there are many aspects where things are not improving or actually getting worse. And then they're also shown there. It's not, it's not just showing trends that are getting in, like, uh, where, where things are getting better. There's, um, my, my own research topic, economic inequality is one aspect where in some countries, um, things are getting much worse in the U.S. Um, incomes for the for the bottom 50-60% of the population are stagnating mm-hmm. while uh, the gains are going to the top and then this evidence is also shown on, on the um, website um, or one of the more recent ones is uh, the entry on suicides where there's also no clear trend into either direction there's very, very different um, trends in different countries. So you and also published
1: is, bad news I was just, I <laughs> just wanted to make sure <laughs>
0: Of course yes it is, it, like, it includes, um, quite a lot of bad news. And, <laughs> and even with these trends on, on homicides and wars that we, um, mentioned before, um, violence is still very high, right? Like, we had these discussions over the last years, also particularly in the US, but, um, violence levels in, 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 um, in many countries are, are still very high. And then this yeah. is also presented. It's just about the direction of change. It is not about, um, um, whether the, we should be complacent and, and sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Um, so what other the
1: criteria do you have yeah. for including or not including your data set?
0: Um, I guess one fundamental criterion is that I want to, um, show the development until now or until very recently. Mm-hmm. So I don't include stuff that is, um, just of historic, um, interest. Right. That is something that, um, that is kind of left out. And then, um, um, I'm mostly relying on the experts in 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 each field, so I'm always trying to connect with researchers um, who are experts on the topics that I uh, don't know so much about, um, and get their assessment on which data is a, is is reliable. Um, like I read the review articles by experts in the field that make um, recommendations of which data sources to to uh, Uh, choose. And this is then also shown on the website so that, um, other people who are interested in data visualization can then go to the website and have an idea of, of what, um, of what actual reliable data is and, and, and what is, um, maybe considered, um, less good news. Because you often you have these, you have these conflicts right like some article some data sets try to maximize coverage both in the time dimension and in the geographical uh, dimension um, but that often comes at the cost of of having less reliable data for example economic inequality is is um often has that problem there are estimates um where you can't really um Compare the differences between countries because one is measured is measuring actually income inequality, whereas the other one is actually measuring uh, consumption inequality, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're both presented as, as um, economic inequality, and um, you have to go back to the literature to find out that um, what the, what these problems are with different data sets.
1: And uh, also, so much the- of this data is country based, but then countries split up and merge and true That's another aspect. Change. Yes. So anything that goes back 10 or 20 years is usually a huge problem, right? It's like, what's your experience? There's true. It's not, it's not
0: easy, but then on the other hand, there are actually a lot of researchers who've spent their lives kind of solving these problems. These problems, right? problems yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we can actually rely on, on, on these, on the work of these guys and, uh, and, um, and they have thought about these problems often and, and uh, um, did, did great jobs often to st- by stitching together data, different data sources and, and, and getting rid of um, the problems.
2: So can you, can you describe how you go about finding this data set and creating a new project? So do you start from <laughs> the idea, then you, let's say, read the papers and then search for the data sets? I'm just... How how does this right. work?
0: Like what I actually like how, how like what I, what I did over the last couple of years, like it started as a kind of book project and I like was just gathering data for that book. Um, and this data gathering got a bit out of hands, um, and then <laughs> led to this uh, web project. But um, so I went. So you only and
1: made the website to avoid writing a book? Is that correct? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> four years of procrastination, exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> very productive way of not writing a book. <laughs> um,
0: so um, I have this small software that i actually like a lot it has the has a weird name it's called circus ponies notebook i'm not sure if you guys have heard of that before say it again Uh, (laughs) it's called notebook and it's from a software company that is called circus ponies i like this thing a lot it's just a (laughs) note taking software kind of and uh, you can have one book of notes and in this uh, different notes you can add uh, different um, pages And then I have, I think now it's like 600 pages or something on 600 topics, where just whenever I come across some uh, interesting research paper, I just throw it into this notebook. You can store PDFs there, you can store um, images there, Um, and so this notebook is kind of my my offline version of this our world and data project Mm -hmm. and stuff that I come across on Twitter in stuff that i come across in in uh, presentations is all going into that one um and then when i start writing the project i have like a kind of base to to go about um drafting the data entry and then i mostly start with the really boring task of cataloging all of the data sources that are out there so for example on inequality is probably like 12 different data sources. And I go describe which countries are included. What is the time coverage? Which measures are included? What do other researchers say about these um, data sources? Who is using these kind of data sources? Um, and that is all also on the, on the web. So if someone, like, I'm hopefully saving someone else's, uh, um, boring five hours or so um, by going through these data sources it's
1: basically data librarianship right yeah <laughs> it's like it, just it making sure like that, yeah. everything's like annotated properly and exactly yeah. And so yeah so most yeah. it's super important i agree it's it is, it so is. often i i see some chart and i think like yeah well i can't really see the data i don't really know where it's coming from you know it could be any any chart here you know so if you're right. really serious about the content of the chart you want to f- be able to follow up on the data right
0: exactly yeah and it's i guess also a problem right like some of these data visualizations that float around are really beautiful yeah. but then not not very reliable right and uh, just because it is a bit weird i mean you guys know that better than than uh, than anyone but uh, people have a lot of trust as soon as it is data and as soon as it is visualized right so we we actually like have a kind of extra responsibility just because people trust uh, these data visualizations so very much right more than text for some reason um and yeah this is then discussed in these in this data section in each data entry on the on the website
1: mm-hmm. and just very practically speaking like how do you go from a note to putting it on the web how did you how did you set up the technical system to be able to, to publish so much data?
0: Um, well, I, like, I, I really have not uh, a strong background in this field. So I started very small just with, a, uh, like with one of these uh, hosted WordPress.com accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point uh, switched over to, to one that I host myself. And, uh, but it's still based on WordPress. Which like to me this was all very foreign uh territory, but the web is so very useful in, in uh in making it easy to, to get started there. It's like it is really um not, not not magic, right? And then uh you can you can build it slowly from something small. Um and at some point I got a bit more interested in it and then switch to from static visualizations to something in these with these google charts at some point realized that they are maybe not that beautiful and that is one of like i don't really i'm not a huge fan of them and then switch to uh d3 and and javascript and um build it on on top of these of this technology
1: but you started very simple like hosted wordpress with mostly static images right like exactly and in the beginning into it and text and and with each like every time you would work on it you you continue to refine your techniques and learn learn new stuff right
0: exactly yeah. that was yeah that's is, that is how how it happened i mean the beginning was just that i used other people's data visualizations and and copy pasted it on the on the web uh, around a common uh theme or topic or and um and slowly build it from there yeah
1: cool i think that's that's kind of amazing because you know it's not your area of expertise but you're just driven by this idea that you want to set up the site with all (laughs) this cool data that yeah that you actually like now have this huge repository of like interactive charts and like they have like a coherent style and a recurring system how they're presented and i think it's really cool that you as an amateur, let's say in this field, yeah, I sure, mean, you're yeah, yeah. surely a professional, but in this field, yeah, uh, absolutely you started yeah. off as an amateur and now you can build this, this huge Atlas. I think that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> it's this whole, I mean, it is, it is a, just a very kind of supportive community, this data visualization community, right? Like people, uh, put up like, I mean, like this was all like the, 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 the how much, uh, time people spend on helping each other on forums, right. that is. <laughs> Like f- for, uh, for an economist, this is kind of hard to, <laughs> to understand <laughs> that people put in so much, yeah. uh, so much work, right? It's, it's amazing. Um, and of course,
1: uh, D3 lives from this example yeah, culture yeah. and see, I built something here. Mm-hmm. You can take it. And, and this is all there, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like there are free books, right? Like one of yeah. the, like for, when you mentioned D3, one of the books that helped me a lot was, um, Scott Murray's book on on D three and it's just available for free on the web and you can just um, uh, work through the book yourself. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, that's a great one.
2: Yeah, I also like a lot the the style that you have, the presentation style that you have right now. That it's basically a some sort of PowerPoint PowerPoint slide deck or something like <laughs> this. But I really right. like the way you implemented it because. Um, there's not too much to read, but you are, I think you are using words, uh, in a clever way. It's just enough to understand exactly what you are, um, watching. And, um, right. but also very careful because you, you have data sources, you have notes. So you, you also make sure that it's, uh, um, you also provide legends to make, make sure, sure that make people sure. know how to interpret what they are seeing. And, um, And I think what is really interesting is also you have a very nice narrative. Because some of the slide decks are, what, up to 20 or even more slides? And Mm -hmm. uh, I never got lost. (laughs) I really like it. You have a very nice uh, narrative. So do you have... Does this just come natural to you? Or do you have any, um, I don't know, techniques or strategies on how to create this nice narrative? I'm asking because... I think this is an aspect of visualization that people don't appreciate enough. And also, there are not a lot of guidelines on how to do this properly. But in the end, hmm. this counts almost as much as the encoding itself, right? So I believe that we have an obsession for encoding, and we tend to forget <laughs> about all the rest, right? But all right. the rest, it's super important, right? <laughs> and in this case, right. I think narrative is, is a huge aspect of what you are doing. So, yeah. Hmm.
0: I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Like in these (laughs) presentations, like the the aspect that we talked about before is uh, these data entries that are um, much more detailed and um, kind of much more academic um, treatments of of very individual topics. And then I have these presentations that cut across these different uh, topics and bring them in, in. in perspective, so there's one on violence that takes you all from the archaeological evidence that that we talked about in the beginning to uh, war deaths um, uh, today, um, and it's it is I don't know like maybe it's. Like I, I, I give quite a lot of talks and maybe it's a bit based on the experience from, from what works in a, in a presentation. I guess that's some kind of writing advice that a lot of people give, right? Like you, you should imagine, uh, just telling the the story to someone else and then things fall into places and, and you write it up in the way that you would, um, would explain it to, to someone who you, um, respect or, mm-hmm. um, And maybe this kind of, maybe these, these many presentations that I give on the topic, um, make it possible to, to, to give, to give the presentation some kind of narrative. I'm not sure if I, (laughs) if I have more advice.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But are you actually using these same set of slides in your talks or when you create these ones, you're specifically thinking about a different way to consume that?
0: no it's true like they i mean the ones that are on the web they should be understandable uh without any explana- explanation added to them um so it's always a, a visualization in the center of of each slide and and a bit of uh text that that links them together and that uh puts them in context
2: and do you ever test them before publishing <laughs>
0: um like I discuss it a lot with colleagues here. Okay, that's yeah. that's kind of the only testing I guess I, I do. And then I I mean that's the nice thing about publishing something on the web. You can just change it if if once you realize that it doesn't work, right? So I'm yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to like. I, that's, that, that's another, um, aspect where the web is helpful, that you get a lot of feedback and people tell you when they're not, um, happy with something or when they don't understand something. And then.
1: Yeah. You're also quite, quite active on Twitter. Like you have lots of followers and you post a lot of charts. And I think I, I also witnessed a few discussions, like when you post something and then. People might start a fight about it, or point out errors, or you know, yeah, yeah, of course, like, yeah. And I think that's a nice way, uh, yeah, of self-correcting. <laughs> in a way, it's just <laughs> like pushing it out and then see what happens, right?
0: Um, exactly, like yeah. both on like this works on Twitter, uh, really nicely, and um, it also works on the, on the website itself, where you have a feedback button and people uh, get back to me, and then it's often like ex- Like the 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 aspect that helps me a lot is that. Uh, you you present the research that a lot of, like that some researcher really cares about a lot, and by making by making it available to a larger audience, um, they get very excited often and, and are very <laughs> supportive and in in, uh, in in supporting this whole project right mm-hmm. that that. Yeah, that that's quite That's nice to, to yeah. that you can kind of build a community there Yeah, um, I mean, on, on Twitter.
1: I'd like to get back to one point you mentioned before. It's, it, you just said it in passing, but you said your actual research is about like, uh, <laughs> uh, income or inequality. And uh, I was wondering, like the, the thing you do here, is it is it a spare time project? Or is it like half hobby, half supporting your research? Or is it really? part of your research job? Like, what's the reception in the academic world for uh-huh. the project you do? Like, how is it perceived? I, I'm asking basically for Enrico because he has the same problem with blogging and <laughs> That's podcasting. That's what I was, going, was and it's about like, What's to say, the role yeah. of that in <laughs> academia? Do people see that as, like, a, an interesting hobby to have? Or uh-huh. is it actually valued and respected? What, what's your perception?
0: Um, well, it, it definitely started as a kind of hobby. Right. Uh, so like I started it four years ago or so. Um, and then I just did it in my, in my, my spare time in the evenings or so. <laughs> and, but this is fortunately not the case anymore since basically this year. Last year we, um, applied for, a, for a grant and, um, I have a small research grant now for, uh, for 2015. Um, so now it is, um taking up maybe half of my my time um um, at the university so Mm -hmm. half of the time i'm I'm doing economic inequality half of the time i'm doing this
1: yeah well but you um, have to bootstrap that on your own time basically in the first few years prove that it's interesting and and build the foundation on, on without any funding or any institutional help more or less
0: um it slowly got better like it's, yeah. it's definitely better this year but it was also um the situation was also kind of improving over the last year. Some people at the university were were super supportive of it. Mm-hmm. Um like the guy that I'm working uh, most closely with or well, like two people uh, Tony Atkinson and David Hendry two senior economists here at the university um they very much saw the need for for this kind of project. Um generally it is often I mean some people don't appreciate it much like particularly in economics it is very much the culture is very much focused on publishing in very few um, specific journals and and getting Mm -hmm. publications there this is what gets you tenure and this is what what um, what gets you at at a good university Um, and they don't care much for this kind of uh, project but well, that's I guess that's always with the these case, new right? Type
1: of formats. So it's not a traditional publication. It's not a textbook either, or it's not like purely mm. educational. You know, true. you don't really know what it is. It's like it's a new thing. And so Exactly yeah. it it falls doesn't kind really of... fit into existing categories of what gets funded, right? So I think it would be hard to just with this idea to build this website to get funding Yeah, that from traditional research and mm. funders, right? Is is that true? Yeah, that's very much true, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, like
0: now we have this grant from the Nuffield Foundation in, in London and they uh, are very supportive of it. Um, but um, generally, it is research goes into kind of primary research where you come up with, with, with actually new research and this project is more about communicating research. And I, I don't really get it. I think like... There should be research for this kind of, of yeah. Like of a third
1: work. of the money should directly go into communicating existing stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's like my perception.
0: I, I would think so. Like it is, <laughs> it is sad, right? Like, these, like there are people who spend their lives doing amazing research at the universities and then it doesn't get communicated. Like one, one study last year from, uh, is, uh, I, is, is super interesting. There was a study by the World Bank where they looked at um, their own World Bank policy reports um and they found and they looked at who is actually reading that kind of stuff that they're um that they're getting out there and they found that 31 percent like a third of their reports was never downloaded even once (laughs) it's, it's absurd like you spend so much time on this research and then it just lies around on some on some server
2: no i guess that that's a huge problem and uh I'm happy that you mentioned it, because it's probably true in many other areas of science and research, right? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. We need uh, a few hundreds or thousands Max Rosers for for, <laughs> for every area of research, right? So I think in the past, me and Moritz discussed quite a few times uh, um, climate science, which is another uh-huh. area that is really important for humans right and uh, sure. there are, there's lots of research and there are also a lot of failed attempts to in my opinion to communicate this research to uh, mm. to the population at large and you could say the same for i don't know healthcare or i don't know security and many other areas so true i mean there are lots of researchers lots of interesting research out there but not a lot of or enough people taking the lead or responsibility to take this information and put it in a way, first of all, making it accessible and then uh, proposing it in a way that people can easily consume it the same way you are doing with, uh, mm. with uh, your project. I mean,
0: like on the, on the website, I'm always taking the long-term view, so <laughs> I might as well <laughs> take the think? long-term view now. And I guess if we look back over the last two decades or so, I think things are changing in the That's in the right direction right like the the whole blog culture uh twitter that you mentioned before is is making it much easier to follow what is actually happening in universities i mean I yeah, was,
2: yeah yeah absolutely
0: right like this is something that is new and um or like i mean ted talks and, and these kind of things where researchers have an have an audience that is bigger than uh than it was uh, just a couple of years ago right so we are slowly getting there but It could go faster, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, which I think in the end, it's also a big challenge for researchers, right? Because they used to be um, exposed only to internal criticism, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think, I mean, people are pretty smart and sometimes they... Pose questions that an academic wouldn't pose, right? Absolutely. So I yeah. think this is a very positive trend. <laughs> I think it's yes. personally, I believe that it's much, much harder um, to convince people of your research uh, that are not from academia, right? People who are not from academia. And True. especially because you have to use a different language and they may have a completely different worldview, right? So I mean I think exactly. that academics share a lot of uh, basic um, rules and ways of seeing things, and um, yeah, I mean when when you have to communicate to a much larger audience, things get get complicated. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yes, that's that's definitely true, and uh, and so it's also like by. It is helping both sides in this way, right? Like it's helping, like it's hopefully helping uh, the public that uh, that learns about um, new research, but it also helps the researcher because you have to, uh, yeah, yeah, you're confronted with someone who is not buying your assumptions that are kind of used in this field um, <laughs> as easily as as the guy who who read the same textbook that you're uh, that you know, right?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's beneficial for both, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's cool. And you're right. It's it's great that it's happening. It's, I'm just so impatient. <laughs> I want to see it happen. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> so, this is a good time to stop for a moment and talk about our sponsor, Visualizing Wellbeing, the Wiki Progress Data Visualization Contest 2015. Hey Moritz, I guess you know something about this contest. I know that you are involved. Can you explain us a little bit about what the contest is about and how it works?
1: Yeah, sure. So it's a contest run by my friends and colleagues at the OECD and Wiki Progress, And it's about visualizing well-being. And some of you might know, it's a topic that I'm sort of involved in. And um, yeah, so I'm a judge for this competition. Uh, they were so kind to ask me to judge and also so kind to sponsor the podcast. Um, so we'll tell you a bit about uh, how the contest works. Um, The aim of the competition is to increase awareness of well-being measurement and to show how a focus on people's well-being, rather than, say, economic growth alone, can provide a more meaningful and nuanced view of societal change and progress. So, of course, that fits well also the topic of our episode, how the world is actually (laughs) becoming a better or a worse place or a different one. And um, now you're asked in order to participate to ask uh, to create an infographic or a visualization that addresses one or more of the following questions. For instance, how do well-being levels vary between countries or within countries like are old people doing better or men or women and so on. Or why is it important to look beyond purely economic indicators such as GDP for a better picture of people's current or future well-being? And how can the multidimensionality of well-being be effectively communicated to the general public? So there's many different factors that play into well-being. How can we communicate all this visually? Um, and in principle, you're free to use any publicly available data. There will, there's some, um, suggestions for datasets on the competition website and also on ourworldindata.org. You will find some interesting data on this, I'm sure. Uh, but you're also free to pick your own dataset, maybe generate your own datasets or find your own ones and so on. Yeah.
2: So when is the deadline for submissions?
1: Deadline is August 24. So you still have a few weeks. So that's good. Uh, nice. but don't wait too long. Good data visualization takes a few um, iterations and uh, you will ask, what can I win? And uh, you can actually win a trip to Mexico in October, mid-October. Wow. Yeah. And so that that can be a big thing unless you're from Mexico then it's a small <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. but for many people, I think it's a great opportunity and you will also, of course, be awarded with a certificate of recognition. And um, yeah, you'll get a whole trip and a paid flight, of course. And the competition is open to all individuals, both amateurs and professionals. And they would especially like to encourage the participation of young people. And in fact, actually, one of the prizes will be reserved specifically for people under 26 So I think that's a nice, nice thing too. So if, even if you're a beginner or like fresh to the field, um, don't be afraid to submit something. Um, you'll, you'll have a chance definitely of, of winning something and, uh, the judges will be a really nice team, a great jury. So first of all, we have Stephanie Pozavec, you know her, she's been on the show before. Uh, we also have Kim Rees. uh, She's been on data stories as well. And then there's me. <laughs> <that a> <laughs> and uh, I think that will be a great jury. And I think from the like judges, you cannot already guess we are looking for something that's really clear and interesting, but also rigorous design-wise and, and data treatment-wise. And that is just interesting and not like run-of-the-mill uh, bar chart, but something that's thought-provoking, powerful, interesting, and, and original.
2: Great. So to find out more, uh, you can visit the WikiProgress website that is just wikiprogress.org, or even go to the Facebook or uh, Twitter page, or handle that is WikiProgress. Just at WikiProgress. So let's go back to the show. There's another thing
1: I'd, I'd like to come back to, which is mm-hmm. really fascinating about your project. Is this? And we touched on it a little, but we I think we can expand on it a bit more is this unfounded pessimism or the data supported optimism that that you transport and i was wondering if you have any ideas about why why so many people have this intuitive intuitive idea that the world is actually getting much worse and and why you know why is that in so stark contrast to the data you present so is it that the data is just measuring a part of reality and actually it, maybe the data itself is biased, or is it more that people's perception is is actually wrong what, what's your take on that
0: right i think like we we, we started talking about it before um, with this with this very strong sense for nostalgia, and I guess one fundamental um, um, aspect of our mind is is what the, um, psychologists call negativity bias, and if you can like if you if you think about how you would um, how you would design the 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 mind of 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 an of a human of of your child, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and you would ask yourself would you make sure that your child pays as much atten- attention to, to opportunities as it pays to threat uh-huh. threats? Then the answer is is obvious. You you would like threats are way more important for, uh, for your child to notice than, than opportunities. Like okay. if you, if you miss an opportunity, then it's too bad. If you miss a threat that huh. can hurt really bad or maybe even cost your life. So, um, um, and then, In this way, humans are predisposed and have this very strong um, um, sense for for possible threats. And I guess that's something... That that was always around and always uh, shaped our perception of the world. You can go back like there's these fun quotes, right? You can go back to to, to ancient Egypt and, and people are <laughs> are not satisfied with their contemporaries and things are getting worse than yeah. they than they were in the, the past. The end of the
1: world is always around the corner, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: And I guess that's partly due to this uh, strong. Uh, um, um, uh, focus on on negative um, events and threats So you
1: mean we're looking for negative news that's like already uh, like a biological fact uh, more or less uh, that we, exactly uh, we're yeah. looking for negative stuff
0: uh, exactly like we we pay we pay more attention to that and that's of course something where the media um and the market if you will um can connect to right like this is the kind of uh news and uh, these are the kind of books that, that people, um, get really excited about and interested in because it, um, cause it, uh, fits this kind of framework of, of our perception.
1: I yeah. Also catastrophic events make a better narrative because they're, um, surprising, they're extreme, they're like unseen before they're out of the ordinary.
0: Exactly. But they and
1: are they're, so little positive, um, like sudden sudden positive events <laughs> you know yeah. it never like rains money somewhere or you know, <laughs> like thousands of people are suddenly healed it's more like yeah a plane drops somewhere or something
0: exactly yeah. like a lot of these <laughs> a lot of these um negative events are, are very much ev- actually events right they're actually yeah. news in one moment of the time like they're breaking news on on cnn and you can switch to the to where the catastrophe the accident happened today um, whereas a lot of these aspects that, um, that I look at at the website are long-term trends where the, the change is much more gradual over time. There's never like the CNN news that says, uh, child mortality <laughs> fell by point yeah, 0. zero 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 five percent today, right? Like that's, yeah. it yeah. just never makes the news. It's never an event. It's some trend that underlies um uh, current events and and you were mentioning enrico you were mentioning um, climate change before right they have exactly the same problem on the other side if you will because it is not about a single event um in in climate it is one long-term trend that is that is underlying um uh, the development and that never actually has uh, um, has a headline um, and never a breaking news. Yeah. So these long-term trends are much more difficult to to uh, to see and to communicate. And you only understand them if you actually do um, empirical data work on 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 long-term changes.
2: Yeah, yeah. And we're also very bad at delayed rewards, right? Where humans are not very good at thinking long-term. This is also very interesting, <laughs> right? True. So if we don't see an effect, an immediate effect of our actions, we just yeah. don't don't care, which is a big right. big problem.
0: And we and we think that it actually doesn't matter, also, right? Like, yeah, we are very we are very bad at noticing these long term trends, and we are very bad um, in in as intuitive statisticians, right? This is the kind of point that kahneman and, and these uh researchers in at the border between economics and psychology um, were making uh these biases are just very strong, and we are bad in um in measuring quantitative aspects with our normal perception yeah
1: but how so our animal nature sort of prevents us from intuitively seeing the the slow, long developments so you think it can be fixed like with cognition or like like what's the way to fix this that's that's I think the way to question, fix it is right?
0: I think the way to fix it is good old statistics <laughs> 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 daily dose statistics <laughs> <laughs> but we, even we there we know that it's not yeah. that
2: easy right i mean what do you mean <laughs> well uh, again this is something we discussed several times on the show first of all mm-hmm. um on the one hand for some people some people are too easily um they they very easily change their mind when data is presented as in support Mm -hmm. or in favor of an argument, right? So you have this whole section of people who, whatever the numbers show, they they believe it, (laughs) True.
1: (laughs) But then you have the
2: exact opposite as well. You have people who just don't care. They don't want (laughs) to hear that. They don't want (laughs) to see that, (laughs) right? Yeah. And mm. I don't know which one just, is more troublesome. They will just
1: consume information <laughs> that matches the preconceived notion, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but then yeah. I think the. I mean. So still, if it like, were just I, like, I like it, here
2: are the numbers, and people react to that, maybe it would be easier.
0: I I I like. It is true that with quantitative information, you don't necessarily um, get the perception of people right, and like like no one gets has like a, a correct worldview, but I think if without, without this information, there's not, not, a, not a chance for that in the first place, I think you do need the quantitative information to, uh, to understand these, these long-term trends, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: people, people otherwise wouldn't understand what wouldn't, wouldn't like, we, we wouldn't know about climate change if we, if we, uh, didn't measure these things, um, as good as we possibly can.
2: Yeah, but even there, I mean, the discussion is so heated and and polarized that there are people claiming that they have a scientific background and they know why it's not like that, right? (laughs) So it's, um, I mean, in in my experience and the way I see it is that it's it's not as easy as numbers tell the truth and people believe it. We are, it's very far from that. <laughs> no, no.
1: But still, some data is better than no data. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, yeah, some like data is better than data no is maybe, data. Yeah. Maybe even faulty data is better than no data. I don't know. Well,
2: but yeah. that's a strong <laughs> statement, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. but
1: for instance, like the homicide rates, I think they present a really strong argument that is really counterintuitive. And I think they could be a, a really interesting case study of like, presenting these statistics to people who have strong beliefs about that, Mm -hmm. you know, a few hundred years ago, life was much more harmonic and that could be a nice, nice way to test that actually.
0: Exactly. And
1: I think the data, they come with huge
0: mismeasurement with huge uncertainty, but then it is also true that people did care a lot about uh, violence and homicides, even back in the day. And they, and they made an effort of, of, uh, um, gathering this evidence and collecting the, the, um, the, the cases where people were murdered um, so we do actually in fact know something and the, I think the, the magnitude of change over, over these centuries is, is bigger than the uncertainty that is associated with the data. Right, I mean the so trends are so extreme like, that even something. if you
1: doubt like by a magnitude of like an order of 10 you doubt that it, it's still a trend you know? so <laughs> exactly yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. pretty strong yeah
2: yeah so, do you have stories of people who uh, have seen your uh, visualizations, your website, and have had this kind of "ha ha" moment and and <laughs> realized that the yeah. the world is good
1: and humans are good Turn and around. we are going <laughs> in the right
2: direction <laughs> oh. and, or stuff like that? I, I certainly had this this kind of feeling the first time I saw Hans Rosling presenting his work. Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. yeah. I'm pretty sure True. that there are plenty of people who uh, I don't know stumble into your work and are surprised.
0: True, I, I like. I'm not sure. Like, it would be nice to uh, to to hear these kind of stories. Because, um, like, it was the same for me. I guess, like, a lot of the motivation comes from from these researchers, like Hans Rosling for global health and demographics, or uh, Stephen Pinker for for violence, and and it is. It is like, it is really an important perspective, uh, for, for me. Like it, it, it really changed the, the way that I look at the world. Like I'm like, I said, stu- like I said it before, right. I studied philosophy. That's kind of the, the gloomiest, <laughs> uh, the, broad, um, academic discipline that there is. And, um, there's this very strong anti-modern, uh, strain, at least in continental philosophy that I studied and. Like, I'm quite far away from, from this perspective, um, now. And I guess it is partly, um, uh, empirical evidence and, and research that, that changed my worldview. So I guess one, one candidate for your answer would be, would be me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sh- I'm- I'm not sure uh, how many other people, or if any, if, well, if may, I convinced maybe anyone. One else. Of our
1: listeners. So if any of you, if, uh, yeah. if Max uh, Rosa changed your life, let him know. <laughs> let us know. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe <a> big. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great. I mean, wh- what's next? Like, do you, I, I assume you will keep the project up and keep extending it. Will you also write your book? Is that a thing?
0: Uh yeah. I like I would hope that 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 both can happen. Um well the, the, the funding runs out in in December. Hmm. And I have to like I'm currently running around trying to uh to find funding uh for the next year and like ideally I would I would like to find funding for another 3 years to keep the project going here at the university. Um but I wasn't successful so far. And um, and a big change was that for, since like May or so, like for the last two months, um, I'm finally not alone in this project anymore. Um, I have like now a small team, um, of, uh, researchers that, that support me and like very crucially, finally, a guy who actually understands data visualization and who is an expert in the <laughs> field, uh, Stanek Hinek from, uh, from the Czech Republic. He's based in London and he, uh, now supports, um our world in data and like can do things that i like was just not capable of uh so that's great and i would like to keep this team together and and uh, continue this work and uh if i find the time then i would also like to go back to the book like i have some kind of draft of the book but this is also. Getting out of hands, just as the data collection got out of hands, and <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have to cut it down to some Maybe multiple uh,
2: volumes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but I'm also working on the book, yeah.
2: So are, are there are there other good news that you will be collecting in the future?
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure. We're like, uh, what are we working on now? Uh, like these days, we were looking into cancer. Uh-huh. where like um things are like in, in, in some aspects of of health things have improved dramatically and um cancer is
1: child mortality things like yeah this, it's
0: yeah. huge right like if you like child mortality um like in countries before before they entered the what they what is called the health transition um roughly a third or more of the children died before their fifth birthday um in main, in some countries it was it was probably more than every second child that died before the fifth that's birthday that's the
1: only reason by, why the average life expectancy has been so low right so people that's a common misconception actually so there were people in the middle ages who were 50 60 years old right of course yes but the average is so low because yeah half of the population died before the first uh, birthday exactly
0: yeah <laughs> Although the life, like you have some data for at least for for the country that I'm in, in, the UK, you have also data on the life expectancy, not at birth, but the life expectancy at older ages, like life expectancy of thirty year olds, yeah, forty yeah. year olds, and it also it also went up there. So it, like the biggest gains were due to changes of the mortality patterns at mm-hmm. at a very young age, but mortality also changed um, at a later age. And I think one other aspect there is that. <laughs> like someone who was fifty or sixty year old back in the Middle Ages or even a hundred years ago, uh was in much worse health uh than people who are who are sure. today fifty yeah, or sixty, yeah. right? This is like another aspect that <laughs> like uh fifty is the is the is the new uh thirty or something, right? Like uh, like <laughs> people's um con- health conditions also improved.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And cancer? How, how, how is the trend there? It's like- C- cancer is a bit of a
0: tricky one because, of course, um, it, is, it is a very common cause of death and as, the, as, a, as, a, as a reason for death, as a cause for death, it is, uh, it, it is increasing. But then we have to die at something, so we will die um, of the condition that we make least progress against, um, and that is um, cancer. So you have to be careful of how you analyze the data. And um, if, you, if you age adjust, for example, cancer, so you take it out um, that people just live longer and then will develop cancer later in life, then it's actually uh, a lot of forms of cancer are decreasing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Most prominently lung cancer, because smoking uh, went down so massively. Oh,
2: yeah, it's going down, um, yeah.
0: But also other forms of cancer are decreasing, yeah.
2: Wow. But again, let's say I want to... <laughs> Uh, go back to something I asked you before because I'm really curious. So let's say that now you want to publish your next project on cancer, mm-hmm. right? So w- what is what is the process? So you start from searching for some papers or all the papers that talk about that, and then from the papers you 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 search references to these databases or data sets or... Exactly. How does it work?
0: Um, so and, and
2: sometimes I guess you have to You have to contact the scientists directly to get this data. Yes,
0: I think um, I think cancer is 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 such a complicated topic, and I'm so like I'm not an expert on the topic at all. (laughs) So I try to come up with something useful, so that I have kind of like a a basis to talk with some with someone in a kind of meaningful way. And then I'm trying to connect to people who are actually experts in the field. And for example, here at Oxford, there is. there is a research institute that is focusing on non-communicable diseases like cancer. And then, um, uh, there are, there are people who actually, um, helping out on these aspects so that, that I get these kind of aspects, right. And, and on cancer, one of the researchers that now works with me, uh, Lindsay Lee, she, uh, she's, um, focusing on health and she, um, has a stronger background in, in these aspects. So it's, it's, it's very much a collaborative effort, right? Like it wouldn't be possible by anyone to, to have the overview of all of these different topics, yeah.
1: And every time you learn yeah. something new, <laughs> that's the, the yeah, next Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's fun, yeah. yeah. You, it's like, yeah, you, you get an overview of the field, you, you meet new people that, that do stuff that you have never thought that, uh, that people would... Uh, that people would uh, actually do research on, right? And you, like, for example, the archaeological evidence on homicides. (laughs) Like, I had no idea that people spent their lives uh, researching these kind of aspects.
2: Okay, so, um, well, I think we covered a a lot of different topics. Uh, That's very interesting. And um, before we conclude, can you just um, tell to our listeners where to find your work? Uh, and um, ah. there is a specific URL, right?
0: Exactly. Like all of this um, information is uh, available on a website called ourworldindata.org. So just one word, ourworldindata. Um, and this is where all of that information is presented.
2: Yeah. And is there a starting point, a specific path they can follow
0: um, I guess these presentations that, that you and I were talking about earlier are a good starting point So you, there's one presentation that gives an overview on global health, one that has given an overview on uh, poverty in the world and the world income distribution, so the distribution of, across all individuals in the world over the last 200 years there's one on Africa just focusing on uh, what is happening there, and the one on violence that we mentioned before
2: that's great. Well, thanks a lot, Max, for coming on the show. That's uh, amazing work. And uh, please don't give up. Don't <laughs> stop. I really hope you'll manage to get funding, extra funding soon. <laughs> yeah, if our business I'm, I'm, has I'm, a few
1: million spare. Yeah, if you
2: have a few hundreds of thousands <laughs> yeah. at least to spare, or at least have even just ideas yeah. where to look for. Uh, uh, and let Max and also myself know. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, let Max know because um, this is an important project and it really needs to um, to exist and, and, and go I agree. on. Thanks a lot, Max. Yeah, thank
0: you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks so
2: much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by Visualizing Wellbeing, the Wiki Progress Data Visualization Contest 2015. To find out more, visit the Wiki Progress website at wikiprogress.org or their Facebook page, or you can also follow them on Twitter at Wikiprogress.